You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is an Australian freelance writer, blogger, and author with more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. And this is episode 15 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you today, Alison? I'm very, very well. Thank you, Val. And you? I'm good. I'm good. What have you been up to? Um, well, I, I had this thought in my head this week that I was going to write. Where else was your thought going to be? Well, it could have been, you know, outside. I do have random thoughts from all sorts of places. But, <laughs> no, there was a thought in my head. Was, that's the kind of thing that you'd write in a book and delete. I know. I'd edit that out too. <laughs> anyway, I had a thought that I was going to write this week, um, but my brain did not agree with me at all. It decided that it really needed a bit of a rest from um, any form of writing whatsoever. Okay. Um, in, in the sense of I was going to redraft a novel and that just hasn't happened. So I've actually been doing other useful things like blogging and tweeting and, <laughs> oh, and pinning. I've been doing a lot of that as well. So that's what I'm doing this week. Nice. And Very you? nice. What have I been doing this week? I feel like it's all been a bit of a blur. Um, from last week, you may remember that uh, one of my aims in life was to watch a bit of crap TV, which I successfully did on the weekend. So that was quite refreshing. But I think I OD'd on it. And I feel the need to consume a lot of useful cultured information now. Oh. So <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm on the out. lookout. So, you know, I've started some new books and um, I might cut down on the crap TV for this week. Oh, that's disappointing because I always enjoy our conversations about your crap TV. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing that's happening is that, um, well, at the Australian Writers' Centre, our tour group to Vietnam has gone off and running and um, they're no doubt having a fabulous time. It's food writing in Vietnam. So we're getting organised for our next tour, which is uh, writing in Ubud. So have you ever been to Ubud in Bali? I have never been to Bali. I must be one of those. You've never been to Bali? No, I'm one of those Australians who has, well, there must be like four of us, I reckon, who have never been to Bali. Good Lord. I know. I just, I just don't have, I have no desire to go. Okay. Does that, does that make me strange? I It does. I would sign up for the Kate Forsyth Literary Writing in Oxford tour, which is in September. That is something that I would love to attend. Yeah, that's a pretty um, fantastic one. That's yes. going to be in Oxford and the Cotswolds and yes. visiting, you know, Harry Potter's places yes. and Stonehenge. See, that's and, me. That's my, yeah. that's my kind of – and if I was ever going to do a holiday, those are the kinds of holidays I do because I'm not a beach girl. I do not – sun, Pacific, you know, palms, doesn't interest me. Ubud is not near the beach, Al. Uh, well, you know. It's an artistic town in the Timbali. Highlands. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just goes to show you I have no – no idea about this. Sorry. <laughs> My apologies. Okay. So what's been going on in the world of writing and blogging and publishing this week? You have some news for us. I do have some news and it's quite interesting news. The, um, the bookseller um, website uh, announced this week that 
Goodreads is going to be launching an Ask the Author feature, which is very exciting. And what is extremely exciting are some of the authors who have signed up already to be part of this program, um, including one of my personal all-time faves, Margaret Atwood, Mm. including James Patterson, who writes more than anyone in the known universe. Yeah. Um, Jeff Kinney, Sylvia Day, Ariana Huffington, Dan Brown, lots and lots of big names. And basically the way it works is that members of Goodreads can submit questions directly to the authors and um, they'll be notified if their question is answered and the response will be shared on the author's page as well. So it's it's kind of exciting if you've ever really wanted direct access to any of these people. I mean, I saw Margaret Atwood speak um, in Sydney many, many years ago and I was just, I think I just, I fell in love with the biggest author crush ever. I had already enjoyed all her novels to that point and then to see her speak and and how sensible she was about everything. And of course, she tweets like a mad woman as well, which makes me love her even more. Mm. Um, But yeah, so it's it's Goodreads, Ask the Author, and I think it'll be uh, really interesting to see how that plays out. What do you think about that, Val? I think it's an interesting exercise and I hope it goes well for them because I really like Goodreads. I think that um, the interesting thing about uh, programs like this is that if you have an opportunity to ask a question and then it doesn't get chosen <laughs> or it doesn't get answered, it's a little bit disappointing sometimes. On so- sometimes you might try and um, in- increase your chances by asking 10 questions, but then if none of them get answered, it's kind of like, did I ask 10 dad questions? Or, you know, it, there, there's, the, you, you, there's the opportunity to delight the people who you do respond to, but potentially to disappoint a huge yeah. number of people. So I, I think that on Amazon, they've done um, an Ask the Author thing for years and, you know, it's it, the author has to be proactive in answering the questions. So there are some author pages that are that have there are full of questions that have been gone unanswered since 2012 or whenever. Right. So it just so that's only as successful as the author taking part in many ways, like in the sense that, as you say, how proactive they are. That's right. But it sounds like what Goodreads – see, at, with Amazon, you can see the questions that have gone unanswered. You can see the number of questions that have gone right. unanswered. Yeah. Where it sounds like what Goodreads is going to do is only publish the ones that um, the author can be bothered to um, respond to. But it, it would be interesting to know, you know, does that mean that they end up disappointing hundreds, if not thousands of people who don't get a look in? Yeah, you're right. And the sheer volume of people involved in Goodreads means that um, the chances of your question being chosen are relatively slim. Like I run Facebook chat uh, pages within my um, Pink Fibro book club. We we do author chats, you know, semi-regularly. And those are fantastic because, you know, there's probably, you know, 50 or 60 people involved and one author madly typing the whole time. Mm. And every question gets answered. So those kinds of things are great to take part in. The thing I find really interesting about them too is the number of questions. You can have a whole different group in every time for the for the various chats. Um, same questions over and over again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess from an author perspective, they're probably looking for the question that's a little bit different and that's not always easy to come up with either. Yeah. Anyway, um, so and the other thing I wanted to discuss or one of the other things I wanted to discuss this week was that I was trawling about the internet and I found one of my favourite 
things is writer's notebooks. Oh, yeah. I love them. I love love how they look. I love the way that different people's minds work. And I do feel that this is something we're going to lose in years to come Mm. because so many people do their planning in Scrivener Mm. and Word and all those different things. I mean, even myself, like I have a series a series note, notebook for my um, for my map maker series and I've actually got to the point now I've had to type it all up neatly mm-hmm. and make a Word document and print all bits and pieces out because I can't read my writing as we know. <laughs> um, but it was also just getting so messy. Um, and basically this particular um, article which appeared on bbc.com is called Writer's Notebooks, A Junkyard of the Mind. <laughs> which I have to say I agree with. Um, And it's written by Lawrence Norfolk, who is a writer himself, and he talks about how he uses his own notebook. And then he discusses the various um, notebooks of different people. Thomas Hardy kept literary notebooks, for example, and they, you know, cut bits out and stuck bits in and did all sorts of different things. And they look beautiful and they're so interesting to to see. Um, And he writes his entire story, story about how he kept a notebook on a train journey and then managed to leave it on the train, which I thought was pretty much something I'd do. Um, But it was definitely worth having a look at. There's a couple of great examples of writer notebooks in that particular piece. Do you keep a notebook or are Um, you in Evernote all the time? I, at the moment, because of this digital age and a bit half-half, I used to keep a notebook religiously and it used to be a hell of a lot neater than um, than it is right now. Uh, but yes, as I've started to use Evernote more and more, a lot of my notes are in there. However, I'm about to experiment with, I'm just waiting for it to be delivered. I bought it for myself for my birthday. Um, oh. Something that kind of melds both of them. So what it is... Is it's um uh it's a pen called the LiveScribe pen where you write on these special notebooks. They're not expensive or anything. They're just pretty normal price, and then they've got special dots on the pages. And you you write it like a normal notebook. However, the pen also has an audio recording facility where you just turn it on, and it'll record whether you're in a lecture or you're at a book talk or you're even just having a conversation. You know, in a meeting, and um. What happens is later on, you, or, or, or you, you know, you could be interviewing somebody for for your book or for your article. Um, but what happens is that later on, you can not only download that audio to your computer, but you can also highlight. You can do two things: you can export that page or pages of the notebook into Evernote, but then you can highlight whatever word you know. Say, say you just said to me. Um, uh, you know, a certain phrase, I can highlight that phrase and it can play back the audio that wow. was, that you were speaking or that was going on at the time when I wrote that phrase. Heavens. Yes, heavens. So I'm super keen for it to arrive. It's very late at the moment, um, mm. but um, uh, hopefully arrive any minute because I can't wait to try it out and let everyone know. So it's kind of like a melding of, of both. Wow, that sounds fascinating. It's yeah. you to find that too. <laughs> because when you're interviewing somebody, say you're a journalist, you're interviewing somebody for a story, you can actually just, you know, when you know that moment and they've said that, that gem, you can write yourself a note. And yeah. instead of, you know, busily writing down the whole thing, you can just highlight that and hear it back later. Perfectly. I love that because I hate transcribing. I really do. Yeah. But I do love notebooks. I have to say I am one of those stationary tragics. Yeah. I, absolutely, I have got drawers 
and cupboards and, you know, like unfortunately my children also like notebooks, so at least yeah. I have somewhere to put them now. But um, I have so many notebooks. I just love them. I, I love them. Yeah. The possibilities in it. a blank notebook. That's oh. what it is. It's the possibilities. The possibilities. I yeah. love it. I have like almost a whole shed full of them. I really need – I've got a problem. I've got but a- anyway. <laughs> There's worse things to have. <laughs> yes. There's, uh, let's move on to a um, interesting link that I clicked on earlier this week and it's about author earnings. It's from the um, site called authorearnings.com and what they've done is a report on the tenured versus debut author. So just a few dot points from that is that, um, that, that from their research, they've said that big five publishers are massively reliant on their most established authors to the tune of 63% of their ebook revenue. So and that's a massive chunk to, mm. you know, um, be relying on. Roughly 46% of traditional publishing's fiction dollars are coming from ebooks. So mm. this really is, you know, uh, growth of ebooks here. Mm. Very few authors who debut with major publishers make enough money to earn a living and modern advances don't cover the difference, which is a little bit depressing. Um, And in absolute numbers, more self-published authors are earning a living wage today than big five authors, which was really interesting. That is extremely interesting. Yeah. That's probably the only thing out of the whole report that really surprised me. Mm. Um, I think it's extremely I think it's extremely rare for debut authors of any description to come out and go nuts. Mm. Uh, it, it often takes time. It takes a tale to build an author career and I think people need to realize that that yeah. maybe you know the first book is not the book you know necessarily yeah um you know with with any luck it is you know maybe you're Hannah <laughs> Kent or Donna Tartt or you know maybe you are that and and you know what more power to you if you are but for most people it's a it's an ongoing saga you know and yep. it's something that you have to work so hard at so I guess that that didn't surprise me but what surprised me was the fact that more self-published authors are making a living yeah than traditionally published authors, which I, I think is quite interesting. I, look, I think it's a, all these things have to be read and weighed up when you're deciding mm. what, what you're going to do with your manuscript. Mm. It's, it's a, I mean, it, it's, it's an exciting time to be in the writing and publishing industry. I know that a lot of people say that there's a lot of gloom and doom and that's because, you know, the old ways are changing and everything's breaking down. But that means that there are more opportunities. It is mm. a little bit more complex to navigate, mm. but it's certainly not impossible. And I think that um, rather than looking at the you know, changes to be dire, embrace what's possible and think about new and different ways of doing things. Uh, that's my, it's my little, you know, rah-rah for this week. <laughs> is, that your so- is that your soapbox moment we just no, had there? You do like to have one. <laughs> I love it when you do that. What else um, is happening? Well, just maybe a little bit of a segue from that is um, I'm, I'm sure that people will have noticed uh, stories during the traps, tweets, etc., about this um, Amazon versus Achette uh, spat is what the New York Times is calling it, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a sort of a disagreement between Amazon and Achette exactly about you know how things are going to be done. And I think it's really worth writers um, 
having a look at some of the material that's available online about this to give them some background as to what's going on. It's I think if you're going to be a writer or you're going to be an author, you have to have an understanding of the environment in which you're working. It's like any industry. You can't just throw your book out there and, and hope. You have to have an idea of what's going on. And um, I've put two, two uh, links in the show notes. One is a New York Times um, overview about the effect of rot um, on writers of this particular spat, as they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other is a blog post from um, Smashwords, which of course is a another distributor of you know indie ebooks, um, another place where people who self-publish can put their products. So that's you need to bear that in mind as you read the, the post. But it's a bit of an overview of what's going on, and then it goes in a little bit into what the effect of this particular spat might be on. Um, on indie publishers or in you know self-publishers, indie authors. Um, so I just uh, thought it was worth putting those in there for people to get get an idea of what's going on. They're very much worth reading for yourself. Mm. Gives you some background as to exactly what the uh, what the disagreement is about, what the outcome of that may be, and mm. also what effect that may have down the track. So um, I just wanted to bring those to people's attention. Yeah, definitely. And it's great to read the commentary of what's going on. And um, those two are very good links. So thanks for finding those out. Oh, anytime. So we usually talk about a book on the craft of writing or marketing your book. But um, this week, it's something a little bit different because I'm reading a book that I just can't put down. So I just felt I needed to share it. Um, it's actually written by an Australian author called Jane Gleason White, who her previous two books have been about, you know, classics as in book classics. But this book is called Double Entry. Mm. <laughs> It sounds good already. (laughs) (laughs) Double entry, how the merchants of Venice shaped the modern world and how their invention could make or break the planet. Now, it's (laughs) actually about the history of double entry bookkeeping. (laughs) You have the most interesting book reading habits, yes. I have to tell you, I cannot put the book down. I think that it's it's fascinating, but I think one of the interesting things is that writing, and I'm reading just a little passage from the book, remained the exclusive domain of account keepers until 2000 BC. So it's actually the accountants that spawned writing, according to this book. Um, And, you know, until 2000 BC, when it began to be used in funerary rituals to commemorate the dead and was subsequently taken up by a range of wordmongers, including lawmakers, priests, historians, and storytellers. So uh, apart from its role in the invention of writing, Accounting is significant for human civilization because in, it affects the way we see the world and shapes our beliefs. So I think it's I'm, – I guess I'm particularly fascinated with this book because it kind of talks about the the, the origin of writing and it being um, steeped in the world of accounting. And I suppose, yes, as a former accountant, I find this <laughs> particularly fascinating. But more importantly – 
It is a book about possibly one of the driest subjects on the planet. Yes. You know, I'm sure many people will agree that accounting is not that exciting. However, this author has managed to, I'm about halfway through at the moment, um, has managed to write it in such a way it's almost like a page-turning thriller. And I think that is a testament to the fact, well, obviously to her skill, but to the fact that if you're a good writer, you can make anything sound interesting or you can find the fascinating gem in something and turn it into a wonderful story. So just for that reason alone, in terms of, you know, turning the dry subject on earth into something, in, into a book that I can't put down, I think is um, it's kind of worth reading just for that. Alone. I think we need to interview her about why. I do, yes. Don't I, you feel like, absolutely. Why, like all I want to know is why did she write this book? And <laughs> How, I mean, imagine the research and imagine I the – I just can't even get my head around what would make someone wake up in the middle of the night and think, I must write a book about double-entry accounting. Well, I have to say, though, with the research, I'm sure this research involved her having to go to Venice and Florence oh. and, you know – where it becomes interesting. Yes, because the father <laughs> of accounting was Pacioli. So I'm sure that she had to, you know, <laughs> hang around in a few piazzas and, you know, mm. sip her cappuccino mm. while she was – doing some research at the local library. I don't know what the Italian word is for library, but, you know. Okay. Anyway, you so. me, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's going on in the world of blogging? Um, well, I uh, thought that this week I came across, I was uh, following, um, there's a very savvy woman named Rachel who runs a company called Bad Redhead Media, which, of course, would always appeal to me. <laughs> So how could I not follow her? But she's a fantastic source of social media for authors, you know, information and links and all that sort of stuff. So she's definitely worth having a look at if you are trying to, you know, construct your author platform in a solid sort of way. Um, But she referred us this week to the Book Blogger List, which is a website which lists book bloggers. And this is this is of interest because if you are a person who has written a book and you are trying to get the word out there about it, then finding bloggers who review in your genre specifically mm. is an absolute godsend. And this particular website lists them in sections. Mm. You can find, you know, uh, fiction, erotica, fiction, action and adventure, fiction, graphic novels, fiction, historical fiction, fiction, horror, whatever mm. your thing, fiction, literary fiction, mm. whatever your thing, um, this will list um, bloggers who are A, reviewing in that area, B, open to receiving submissions and they're all in one handy spot and I do really feel like it's worth having a look at if it's something that um, is part of your sort of marketing strategy. Fantastic. Love a good book blogger. I do too. So, who is our writer in residence this week? Our writer in residence this week is Dr. Kim Wilkins, and she's a very interesting woman. She's a split personality, which we love. Yeah. She has, um, she writes as, as Kim Wilkins, and she writes gothic fantasy, and she also writes as Kimberly Freeman, and she writes um, historic commercial women's fiction um, as Kimberly Freeman. She has two books coming out this year, one under each name. Mm. And uh, we had a very, very interesting conversation about, you know, writing across two different genres and how she's been published since 1997 um, and so how she has built her career and, you know, maintained longevity. So it's very, very uh, worth having a listen. 
Dr. Kim Wilkins is a senior lecturer in writing, editing and publishing at the University of Queensland and the author of more than 20 novels for adults and children. She writes across genres under two names, Kim Wilkins for award-winning children's historical and speculative fiction and the pen name Kimberly Freeman for her hugely popular women's fiction and maintains two blogs slash websites, one for each. Kim has two books out this year, one for each of her personalities. Kim Wilkins is bringing out Daughters of the Storm in November and Kimberly Freeman has Evergreen Falls coming out in September. So welcome, Kim. Hi. <laughs> I'm exhausted after just reading that, let alone doing yeah. it. I'm a little exhausted too. <laughs> so the first question I have to ask you is how do you fit it all in? Because as well as lecturing and writing under two names, you also have a young family. Uh-huh. Where do you find the time for all this? Well, I, I don't watch television. Maybe that's it. <laughs> oh, I um, <laughs> when everyone, I, I'm the only person in the Western world who's never seen Breaking Bad. No, you're um, not because I and, haven't either. Oh, okay. And, not, and nor do I watch Game of Thrones, oh, which okay. people think is incredibly weird. But um, So I don't watch television. I, I actually don't know how I do it all. I think one of the things that um, I would say, though, is that my writing is my hobby. It's the thing I like to do best in the world. So it's not sort of another thing to fit into my day. Um, it's, oh, I've had a really crap day, so I'm going to go and write for a while and that'll sort me out. Right. So um, that maybe that's just that. Maybe it's simply that little shift of perspective. Um, and obviously I have a lot of crap days because I write a lot. <laughs> I was say, you certainly do. Do you, um, do you write every day? Are you, are you a habitual writer in the sense of do you get up at five o'clock every morning and do your hour or how does it I, You know what? I used to do that. I used to be five o'clock up I'd get, I'd do my thousand words and I'd have my breakfast. But then I had kids. And yeah, that doesn't <laughs> so work that, anymore. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. I just write when I can and um, I make time to write um uh, I make time to write when I can I um I am a habitual writer when I'm working on a project I'm not working on a project at the moment I'm not putting words down on a project at the moment I'm in the sort of research and planning phase of a project um but when I am writing I will just yeah, yeah I'll do it in in chunks so I've got this fabulous program called Freedom which locks ah, you out of the internet. Okay, yeah. Yep. So I'll put that on and I'll say, okay, well, I'm going to write for two hours and I'll put it on for two hours and I'll write as much as I can in that two hours. And it's usually a significant amount. Um, so that's kind of how I do it, okay. by locking myself out of the internet. <laughs> and not watching television. There you and go. The secrets to writing success. Don't watch TV <laughs> or, or look at the internet. Um, uh, look, I, I, I got Foxtel earlier this year. What a waste of money that was. <laughs> Well, so how did you come to publish your first book, which is The Infernal, back in 1997? How did yeah, that come about for you? 1997, so long ago now. It is a long time, isn't it? Um, well, I'd been writing for a long time, so The Infernal wasn't the first book I wrote. It was just the first book I published. I think right. I have about 10 unpublished manuscripts. Um, I'd been writing since I was a child, um, and so it was just kind of this process of getting slightly closer and slightly closer to the goal. I think in the mid-90s, I had a book nearly accepted for a young adult series, and then the series folded, oh. and you know that kind of gave me the juice to keep going. And I'm, gl- I'm glad now that I didn't get that first book published because I think that would have set my career up in quite a different way. Um, but the, I mean, the method I got pub- published was, you know, a fairly tried and true one. I, I kept writing until I was good enough and then I um, met someone who uh, was a good contact and made, um, you know, created goodwill within that network and then um, the, an agent who knew that person uh, picked up my work and 
liked yeah. it and sold it on. So it's a really, it's, it's a very common theme, you know, do your best work, maintain good relationships and, and, um, and that's how you get published. So how much is publishing like? Because we're talking what seventeen years approximately, if my maths is any good. Yeah, which and not. clearly I was only eleven at the time. Really? I mean, you were so young, <laughs> a child prodigy. How how much has publishing changed for you over that time? Because it's been a fairly turbulent and hectic time in publishing in the in that period that you've been published. You know, have you has it has it affected you in the sense of you've rethought how you do things or anything like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. I, I think. Um, um, the publishing industry and, and what it goes through um, is, is one aspect of it. But, you know, every author's career also goes through peaks and troughs, and mine has certainly been through that. And I've been adaptable um, in terms of, you know, when the market hasn't supported my work, I've changed the work that I do. Um, and um, so, you know, the Kimberly Freeman books were born of the fact that, you know, I felt that I'd said all I have, could say in the other genre I was writing in, um, at least for a while. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, I, I sort of pitched this book to my agent. She loved it. And she said, oh, well, contemporary women's fiction is doing very well. You know, I think it would be a good, you know, a smart choice um, as well as, you know, something that I wanted to do. Um, and so Kimberly Freeman basically uh, reinvigorated my career and kept me going for several more years until I could get another fantasy book published. Okay, and do you so do you love equally write, equally writing those genres? Like are they no, yeah, I just look, I love writing full stop. When I'm in when it's flowing <laughs> when it's flowing, it's the best fun you can have by yourself. Yeah. There's no there's no doubt about it. I'm making up the stories and my fingers are flying across the keyboard and people <laughs> are like, you know, doing stuff and saying things and, you know, climbing mountains and, yeah. you know, falling down and you know, that it's it's happening and it's unfolding in front of my eyes. Um and, and you know, I'm I'm sort of putting it all down as quickly as I can. Um so the actual act of writing I love no matter what fiction I'm writing I find non-fiction kind of boring um but um but in the research phase um I I certainly do prefer the fantasy because I'm I'm you know borderline obsessed with Anglo-Saxons and mythology (laughs) 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 and and so and so um you know when I said I found writing non-fiction boring I mostly read non-fiction I read much more non-fiction than fiction that's really interesting but you don't enjoy writing it no (laughs) write what you know they say well maybe not (laughs) no no. No, about what you write that's where all the reading the non-fiction comes in yeah yeah fair (laughs) enough um so you've also written children's fiction in the past is that something that you will go back to as well um maybe uh i don't have time at the moment i've got a really good idea for a children's book at the back of my mind um for a book for a girl who's about eight which is my daughter's age and i occasionally get incredible mother guilt thinking if you were a really good mother you would write this book for your child who's eight while she's still eight (laughs) because if i leave it until i'm out of contract i won't write it until she's 12 um and then she won't be interested in it so uh, and it'll have to be longer (laughs) (laughs) oh no (laughs) Uh, but um but generally speaking i um, I, I don't write for children. I, there are a few reasons for that. Um, I, I feel that what I, I guess writing for children, I do feel a little bit that I have to put the brakes on. Right. So, you know, people yeah. can't swear and have sex and yeah. kill each other with, you know, broken Gust, glass. Gusto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or gusto. Or both. <laughs> All right. So tell us about the books that you have coming out this year. What can we expect? 
Okay then. So Evergreen Falls comes out in um, September and this is a Kimberly Freeman book. And um, I um, pitched it to my agent as The Shining without the supernatural in the 1920s. (laughs) So it's about a group of people who go up to a a posh hotel, a very, very posh, expensive hotel in the Blue Mountains in 1926. Um, uh, and, and a one wait well, there's more than one waitress, but the main character is a waitress who's based on my, my grandmother who worked in posh hotels in the 1920s. Oh. And she goes, she's up there as well. Um, a really um, heavy snowfall comes in. They get cut off um, while there's just a few of them left. There's only, I think, six or seven of the, of the guests left. And um, while they're cut off, something horrible happens. <gasps> And when they come back down, nobody ever speaks of it again. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's the main sort of story. And, and, it, and wrapped around that is the story of um, a young woman who comes to the Blue Mountains um, in the present um, who's dealing with her own sort of family mystery. Oh, yeah. sounds great. So it's, it's, you know, it's all, it's all family mysteries and, you know, mm. forbidden love and, and stuff like that. And all frocks, 1920s frocks. <laughs> and I, I tell you, my grandma wrote, uh, wrote her memoir before she died. She didn't publish it. She just wrote it for us. And that section of her time working at the Big Posh Hotel in the 1920s, I have read it now so many times. Wow. And every dress that's described in the book comes out of grandma's memoir. Oh, wow. How exciting. Word for word. Yeah, word for word. I didn't oh. have to do, I didn't have to go and look up the costume guide. I just <laughs> took it out of grandma's book. So if anyone says that's historically ac- inaccurate, well, I can tell them to get bent. Thanks, grandma. <laughs> oh, and I should tell you about my other book. Sorry. Yes, you should. Um, yes. So in November, um, I have a fantasy novel coming out. It's sort of like historical fantasy set in a kind of an alternative version of Anglo-Saxon England. Um, and it's about five daughters of a uh, a chieftain, a king, um, and um, something bad happens to the king and the five daughters have to sort it out and they're all really interesting and there's a really cool, you know, warrior princess and there's a, you know, a Viking king and there's a magic sword. <laughs> just, just, you know, that kind of stuff. I love it so much. It's so cool. I love that book so much. I can't wait for people to read it. Fantastic. And I don't care if only five people buy it as long as those five people love it as much as I loved writing it oh there you go well I'm lining up for it sounds great sounds like my kind of thing um so let's talk about your publishing schedule then like how do you organize it when you've got so you've got the two coming out quite close together here do you do you plan a book a year for each name is it more haphazard how does it work it's somewhere in between those two so if if somebody offers me a contract I I don't say no. I mean, why would I? I yeah. would be insane yeah. <laughs> to, to say no to book contracts. So I take them and I try to sort of work out where they're going to fit. And one of the problems has been that with uh, Kimberly Freeman, the last three Christmases, I've had a book due in February. Ah. Um, and so I've got my kids with me on school holidays mm. and I'm trying to finish a book on a tight deadline. And it's been, you know, slightly unpleasant. Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> so um, I'm trying to be a bit wiser this time and seeing if I can get a different um, due date. Um, but um, oh, it doesn't take me long to write a book. I think that that's really the key. And I think this answers your first question as well. Yes. Um, so the books that are coming out this year are number 25 and number 26. And, and you'd think that by number 26, I would probably know how to do this with a minimum of fuss. Mm. And 
and that is the case. I mean, it's like anything that you've done heaps, you just get better at it. You know, like the first time you make a lasagna, it's a huge mess and it takes you two hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, by the 50th time you've made it, you know, it, you're a finely honed machine. And, and I'm, I'm entering the finely honed machine phase. Um, and so, um, I mean, if you've got people out there who uh, are writers, which I presume you do, you may well want to be asking, am I a plotter or am I a, am I a pantser? Well, I'm a plotter. That's right. how okay. books written quickly and that's how they come out the right shape that don't require much structural feedback and you can just get on with the line edit and publish the damn thing. So, so you, when you say you're a plotter, you're a spreadsheet kind of plotter, like every scene, every et cetera? God, like you... Spreadsheets are awful. Okay. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that it, the, the, the problem is that these terms, plotter and pantser, and for those who don't know, pantser means flying by the seat of your pants, just sort of making it up as you go along. Um, they're, um, it's a false dichotomy. I don't think they're the opposite of each other. I think they exist on opposite ends of a spectrum. And um, everyone is sort of on that spectrum somewhere. And yeah. people will say they're pantsers, but if you say to them, oh, do you have any ideas for any key scenes? They, they have. They kind of know where the book's going. Right. Um, and there are people who are right up the other end of the plotting uh, spectrum who really do, yeah, they need to dot point every scene and spreadsheet it and so on. I um, I have a general idea of how the story is going to flow from beginning to end, like where the major transition points are, where the beginning becomes the middle, yeah. where the middle becomes the end, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then I sort of divide it up and sort of brainstorm ideas and sort of put them in some kind of order. And then from that, you know, so for be- maybe I'll brainstorm the beginning with a bunch of scenes or brainstorm part of the middle. Um, and then... You know, I plot maybe two chapters ahead um, okay. in, in quite a lot of detail. And that means that when I sit down to write, when I turn off the internet and have my two hours, I look at my notebook and I go, okay, well, I've got to write a scene where Sam and Violet meet in secret and, you know, they go and dance in the empty ballroom while the snow falls, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. And, um, and I even go as far as to sort of before I sit down at my computer, I work out the first line and the last line of the scene. Wow. And that means that... I never sit down at my computer and am unable to write. Right. You know exactly where you're going, basically. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty efficient. I'm pretty efficient. Do you work mm. on – so with your two books that you've got coming out this year, for example, did you work on them at the same time or do you have quite I, clear delineations? No, no. I've never worked on two books at the same time. Okay. Um, in fact, what happened was Daughters of the Storm I wrote in 2010 mm-hmm. and um, I finished it and it didn't feel like it was right and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. Um, so I put it aside for a year and wrote a Kimberly Freeman book, then pulled it out, brushed it off, tried to edit it, still didn't feel like it was right, sent it away for some feedback to someone who I really trust, um, got some great feedback on it and then I just didn't get time to work on it again um, until last year. And then as soon as it was finished, I had to rewrite the whole middle. Um, and as soon as it was finished, it was um, it was uh, pub- it was accepted for publication. So it wow. was worth doing that extra work on it. Wow. Okay. Do you feel that the teaching that you do, like it's obviously, you know, fairly high level and quite time consuming as well, I would imagine, but do you feel that that helps with your own writing? Hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Um, I think one of the things about um, being a lecturer at university that people don't understand is that less than half your job is teaching. Yeah. And um, 
and a lot of that teaching is actually made up of supervising postgraduates and so on. Yeah. Um, so in terms of supervising postgraduates, yes, you absolutely do learn so much from working on other people's manuscripts, you know, where you go, oh, wow, look, they're doing that. <laughs> Mental note, never do that. <laughs> or, oh, oh, they, you know, if they're fantastic and I have a lot of fantastic postgraduates, I've got a lot of postgraduate students who are, you know, multiple published authors, yeah. you'll read what they do and just get so inspired by it. Um, but um, in terms of sort of teaching undergraduates and grading papers and stuff like that, no, it's just a huge pain in the ass. Okay, fair enough. That makes sense. But I don't <laughs> do a great deal of it, you know. I mean, yeah. as I said, half the job is, um, you know, sort of writing reports and writing um, um, research papers yeah. on, you know, sort of esoteric topics that <laughs> no one ever reads. Great. <laughs> Maybe that's why you don't like nonfiction very much. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think that that's probably exactly why I don't like writing nonfiction. All right, so let's talk a little bit about, bit about the idea of the author platform because uh-huh. you, know, you have been um, doing this, as you say, for quite a long time. What are your thoughts on this business of author platforms? Because it is something that we've seen, you know, it's become very much a buzz term in the last few years. Um, how important is it, do you think? Oh, wow. Look, you know, I just did a a 20-minute TED talk on this in March and it's just gone up on YouTube. So, if people want to look on YouTube for Kim Wilkins' TEDx UQ. I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I I talk about this at length. Um, We are encouraged to be on um, as many um, sort of social media as we can and and have as much sort of author, digital um, author platform as we can. And when I say encouraged, I, you know, really... There's not much of a, you know, it's not really voluntary. No. <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty much mandatory. Yeah. Um, and um, that's all well and good and it is a lovely way to get in touch with people and, you know, my sort of social media poison of choice is, is Facebook and it's been wonderful to connect with my readers and everything on Facebook. But it, it does represent a huge potential um, time sink. Right. And energy sink too, I might add. So we really do have to balance the need to be, you know, the, the, the creative nature, what you need to do to be creative. You have to balance those needs against your need for constant shallow affirmation. Yeah, which is yeah. what social media give you. Yeah. Um, so you have to be in control of it. You need to use it for good instead of evil. Um, and, you know, that's really, really important because what happens is um, – you know, have you ever found yourself waiting for five minutes somewhere, f- just five minutes, just say you're waiting at the gate for your kids to come out of school, what do you do? You pull your phone out of your pocket and you go on Facebook or you check your email. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, you would have just looked at the trees. And I think that we need to do more looking at trees, you know. We, we need to do more sort of reflection, just yeah. quiet reflection and we need to just wait because when, you, when you're waiting and reflecting, the ideas come. Yeah, that's very true. When your mind is busy, yeah, and our minds things. are busy all the time, you know. <laughs> and you know what happens when you're busy all the time or when you've got that feeling of busyness upon you all the time, you know, life just flies past. It flies past at a rate of knots and you find yourself saying things like, you know, oh, goodness, February's almost over and gosh, yeah. I'm so busy. You say, to, you say it to people, people say, how are you? And you say, I'm busy. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, no, it's stupid. so true. And we're not busy. We're not that bloody busy. No, but you our know, heads are busy, aren't they? That's the step problem. Step away our from minds the internet. Are busy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you can just focus even a little bit, even if you can't make the big a holistic change in life and, you know, do the yoga and knit your own yogurt and everything. <laughs> I think it's really, really important just to make time for reflection, to be present 
in 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 the moment. And so, yeah, next time you get that urge, that twitch reflex to get out your phone and go on Facebook, don't. Look at a tree. And, and I swear to you, you do that more often. Your life improves. Time slows down. You have better relationships and you write better. Given the, that's coming from you, who sounds like one of the busiest people in the world, I will yeah. take that advice on board. <laughs> um, speaking of advice, let's uh, talk about your three main pieces of advice for people who want to be writers. Oh, yep, no problem. Um, who want to be writers. Okay, I'm not going to talk about craft. I'm going to talk about sort of personal disposition. Is that okay? That's fantastic, yep. Oh, okay then. So they all, I've, I've actually spoken about them all in this interview. Um, uh, the first one is um, have good work habits. Have excellent work habits. Don't, you know, go and check the internet all the time. Um, make sure that you make your time to write, make it a priority and, and sort of maintain good writing hygiene. Um, the second one is uh, build and maintain um, good relationships because good well, goodwill in the industry is um, one of the most in, you know, important things uh, that you can have. And the third one is uh, be prepared to diversify. You know, um, don't say, all I ever want to write is paranormal romance for teenagers and never vary from that. Be prepared to diversify and explore other aspects of your craft and your creativity um, and you've kind of got more of a chance of, of, um, of writing success. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We really, really appreciate it. You've given us a huge amount of fantastic information there um and very best of luck with both of your books coming out later this year thank you okay see you later bye wow okay so kimberly freeman and dr kim wilkins she's prolific what an overachiever uh yes that's one (laughs) (laughs) one very good word to describe her so we have a web pick this week, which uh, I understand you've just discovered, but um, I've loved it for a little while. So tell us um, your new discovery. I know. I'm so slow. And I can't <laughs> believe how behind the ball I am with this stuff. I'm what, what they call a late adopter to pretty much everything. Um, it's a website called canva.com and it is an absolute boon for bloggers and for writers who, yeah. or anyone who is maintaining a sort of uh, some form of web presence. It allows you to create very simple little pictures, infographics, presentations, Facebook cover photos, whatever it is that you need for your um, for your web presence. Um, and it's really simple. And I discovered it this morning and knocked up a couple of pictures, you know, within the space of about five minutes and thought, where have I been? Yeah, Why have I not great. discovered this before? It's great. So you've been a fan for a while. Yeah, look, you're not a later, Dr. Al. I have to say that I had a bit of inside information because, oh, I mean, Canva I is... already. <laughs> Canva is fantastic. But the reason I had inside information is before it even launched, the co-founders, Melanie and her co-founder, her partner, um, actually were students at the um, Australian Writers Centre and g- gave us kind of almost like a pre, um, a, a, a little preview uh, of what they were hoping to build. So it was fantastic to see it not only built but recognised internationally by some of the, um, you know, tech luminaries and they're going really well. So good on you, Emily and team. And if, you know, check out canva.com because it's super easy, it's free and um, it's a great way to, you know, make some pretty cool graphics for your for your website or your blog now our working writers tip this week interesting one because you know we meet writers often who they say oh look I can't get into my book until I can book 
five weeks away at the beach where I can just write in, you know, in, in, in isolation and I can focus and, um, or I can't write my book until I am on annual leave or the kids are not on school holidays, whatever. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, my thoughts on that are so long and involved. It's not funny. I actually wrote a blog post about this in 2011 because I was so incensed by an episode of Grand Designs that I was watching. So, because I'm a bit of a fan of Grand Designs and it was a lovely show. There was a nice man in France and he was building a nice house. And part of the reason for this house was that he wanted to install a writing room. You know, it was at the top of the house. It had walls of windows. It was rolling French countryside. And it was all about finding the perfect place in which to write his novel, you know, mm. capital N novel. And I um, just went straight to my keyboard and, you know, it 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 doesn't matter what's out the window. You're either going to write it or you're not. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like it's the kind of thing where I think if someone gave me five weeks in the French countryside <laughs> to write a novel, I would probably – lie around and eat chocolates and roll Jeez. around in the grass. And, yeah. yeah, I would. I would not write a thing. I think you you have to you have to sit down and write it. You can't I'll you know, I'll write my book when is one of the worst yeah. phrases that can come out of a writer's mouth. It's if you've got a book to write, you need to sit down and write it. Yeah. Don't Absolutely. wait for the perfect place. There is no perfect place mm. and there is no perfect time. No. And I was interviewing an author once and he was saying how – because he had a job, like a, a corporate job, not just nine to five but probably, you know, eight to seven. And um, he used to write – he used to go to his car at lunchtime and um, write his novel in his lunch break then. Um, so he used to use every opportunity, you know, that he could to, to write and he because he had no other choice but to fit it around his big – corporate job. So you're right. You don't, you, you, you just well, you need the discipline. to. Put I mean, you know, the thing is I have this dream of my perfect writing life and, and there's a, it's a little weatherboard studio. There's <laughs> David Austin roses. There are no children in this picture. There is, <laughs> the room is like, it is white and fresh and there is no clutter. There is not 2000 notebooks in the drawer because you know, that's where they are. Mm. But you know, if I waited for this place, then I'd never write anything. Yeah. I would still be sitting here thinking, where are my David Austin? Actually, I do have them now in my front yard, but <laughs> um, you know, like you, you just have to, you have to sit down and do it wherever you can. And if you're that, it, it, if you're going to write it, you'll write it. I mean, yeah. Mark Dappen said that in his interview last week. Mm. If, you, if you want to, to be a writer, then you have to write. Otherwise, you need to find something else to do. Yeah, absolutely. Simple as that. And on that note, that brings us to the end of our podcast for this week. What are you up to this coming week? I'm just climbing down off my soapbox because yeah, okay. apparently <laughs> I just had one. Oh, my goodness me. Look at us. We're yeah. out there. Um, what am I doing this week? I um, Let's see. I'm actually going to find my creative brain I'm going to drag it back into my head as opposed to being on holidays wherever it is at the moment Mm -hmm. and I am going to to work on this um this novel that I need to get finished that's what I'm going to do did you hear me say that people so if I say next week that I haven't been doing it then you should feel free to send me emails yes Mm -hmm. and you Val uh, well, I'm going to be leaving the Indian summer of Sydney to pay a visit to the l- rather cold city of Canberra during winter. 
Oh. Yes. Um, and I'll be visiting one of our presenters because she has moved to Canberra, but that is good news for Canberra students. Hint, hint, hint. Oh, how so exciting. So we will be looking at a few venues and that sort of thing. So, so there has um, been some pressure on us from the ACT yeah, know, to, wow. to, to do some stuff down there. So that is... Hint, hint, very exciting. So podcast <laughs> listeners, you have heard it here first. But um, if you would like to leave us a review or a um, comment on the podcast, we would love to hear from you. Um, and please do go to iTunes and leave a review there because that really helps us with the um, rankings and in spreading the word. You can also find the show notes here at writerscentercomau slash podcast. You can find me at ValerieCood.com. And you can find Alison at alisontate.com. And until next time, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.